Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. So everywhere I look, I see a painting and I'm always composing in my head the angle of the shot I could get to make it look better. And so it's kind of like you need to stop and smell the roses. Sometimes you've got to stop and compose as you're going, even when it's your own photography on a vacation you want to compose those shots and make them look as perfect as they could possibly look. Hello, and welcome back to the Learn to Paint podcast, episode eight, part B. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. Today is the second half of my conversation with watercolorist Carrie Waller. If you haven't heard part A, I would recommend starting there as we get into Waller's process and outlook and a whole bunch of other great stuff that lays the groundwork for today's part B. In today's episode, we get into the technical. Waller paints beautiful glass, and she talks about the pitfalls she sees her students and herself running into with glass. You'll also learn about the importance of artist friends and some tips on creating stronger compositions in your own work. Head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode eight to find part A and to get show notes for part B. You'll also find links to Waller's work and workshops. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter and get each new episode sent straight to your inbox. Part B with Carrie Waller. Here we go. So we're going to transition to glass. What are the mistakes you see people making when it comes to painting glass? You can't get intimidated. It's just something you're looking at like anything else. So if you get intimidated, it's shiny, it's all these surfaces, it's still, you're looking at it no matter what. You've got to, you know, look past all those little things. One of the biggest compliments I ever had from a student, and this was years ago, is she said, you really taught me how to see. And she said, now when I go out and I look at a tree, I don't see a tree. She's like, I see grays and browns and greens and, you know, like all these shapes that are now working next to each other. And that is the same no matter what you're painting. It's a series of little colors and shapes that are working together. So you really have to zoom in almost and really look at it and just paint what you're seeing in there, the colors you're seeing. The only other thing I can say is sometimes people get too heavy handed and don't leave the brighter highlights. You don't want to have a flat piece, but you have to be really cognizant when you're painting glass with watercolor to reserve your whites and reserve all the light areas. If you get too dark too fast and you get rid of those light areas, you can't, it's hard to get them back. I, don't, I won't say you can't. There are tricks and tips, but it's a lot easier if you can. And I should say, I don't ever use white paint. I always reserve the whites of my paper, whether it's with masking fluid. So you can get some of that back, but sometimes I feel like it starts to get overworked when you're really having to scrub stuff out and get it back. So it's really better to be delicate in the beginning and get darker gradually instead of immediately getting an intense color in one in a, in a shiny area. You want to really gradually get there. Does that mean that you do you do more than one pass on an area before it's finished? Like you would lay down color, let it mingle, then let it dry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with watercolor, there's a lot of glazing. That's the layering of the colors. 
So it's kind of like a stained glass window. You know, you can put one color in front of the other, in front of the other, and it builds. So that is the trick to it is how dark, how quickly do I get? And most of the time, people that take my workshops say I have a lot more pigment in the initial wash than they do. So I do like to have intense color fairly early on because otherwise you're sitting there and sitting there and literally watching paint dry. That is one of those things where I think you just have to work at it enough to see how long it takes you. But I have either two, normally two students. I have the timid student that likes to add too much water and none of pigment. And so it takes for a you know, long, long, long time. Or the heavy-handed one that gets it too dark too. So it's kind of like Goldilocks. There's some <laughs> right in the middle, you know, some perfect. And that's just trial and error. And it doesn't hurt to watch, you know, like in my workshop working with students, I can watch them, they can watch me and I can, you know, they can see how I get that. That's where workshops and watching someone paint can help. But it's also trial and error. In glass, are edges important? And are they all hard edges? What's happening from an edge standpoint Mm. when it comes to glass? It depends on what you've got. If you've got background that you're starting to get blurry, you don't have it. I do like to have lost edges sometimes. It makes it more interesting. So I do think about that. And where when I can have a lost edge, I do like to leave that in there. And there's a lot of times there is not an edge and your brain wants to fill in an edge. And I'm constantly saying that there might be a bright white highlight and there is nothing, you know, it's a loss. It's lost. It's gone. Do not try to fill in that circle because it's a light bulb right there. You know, you have this feeling like I need to complete the shape because it's not all there, but you don't want to because your brain does that. And especially I think when you're doing lettering and painting, a lot of times there are a lot of things that are just not there or, you know, the hint of it. And you don't want to end up having outlined paintings because you've got every edge done. So I do think that is an area you have to be very considerate of. There are sometimes when you have softened edges and sometimes when you want the hard edges. That is where you can tell more amateur painter versus a more seasoned painter because they've worked on that or see that. And sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it until someone points it out and you're like, I am outlining every, (laughs) you know, I didn't even realize that. So that is where someone might be able to help critique your work or look at it for you and say, you could have added this here or taken this out here, and it would have looked a little better. And some of what I hear you talking about is the learning to see component. Mm -hmm. What does that even mean when an artist hears someone say, you have to learn to see? And then why is it important? I think it's probably the most important thing about being an artist. Being an artist is your viewpoint and how you see the world. And I grew up with a dad who's a photographer and we were always stopping to take photographs and he was doing something silly like laying down on the ground or getting a certain angle. So I grew up watching this craziness and now I get it and I'm that crazy one in my family. So everywhere I look, I see a painting and I'm always composing in my head the angle of the shot I could get to make it look better. And so it's kind of like you need to stop and smell the roses sometimes. You've got to stop and compose as you're going. Even when it's your own photography on a vacation, you want to compose those shots and make them look as perfect as they could possibly look. Or you want the opposite. You want the street photography, the very journalistic photography. But it's got to be whatever you're thinking in your head and you're trying to achieve that goal. For me, I think the 
beautiful part about being an artist is we do see the world differently. And some people will pass by things that we stop and are reveling at all the time. And I think, you know, light, just the way the sun hits a building or the way the sun hits a still life, those are things that I stop and think, oh, that's just amazing. You know, and there's different times of the day where you've got that golden light and that's the best time to go out and photograph or when it's just rained and you're getting these lights, you know, all over the streets. So it's just taking time to stop and really look how beautiful everything is around us and trying to capture that. And so you can translate that when you're painting, whether you're painting from life or you're painting from a photograph, is just reveling in the beauty of what it is and trying to elevate it. And then that frustrating middle part where your brain has (laughs) to talk to all of your skills. Right. (laughs) But I honestly, 100%, if you do not have a good composition, you are not going to have a good end result. You just aren't. So you've got to do some of that composing or you're not going to end up with a good end product. That's why it's worth the time to spend initially to get it right. And same thing for a drawing. If your drawing is terrible, how is the good painting going to come out of that? You know, you've got to spend the time. But the beginning stages and that composition and the drawing is you cannot shortcut that. Is there a checklist for composition that you, I mean, you probably do it intuitively now. Right. But when you're composing, and it sounds like in camera mostly is where you do the main Mm -hmm. composition. Is there a checklist you're going through? If a painting is close to being within the golden ratio, if it's close to that, then I might crop it in a different way or zoom out a little bit so I can get that. If I've got curvy lines that are leading me right into a certain area, I want to make sure I really am emphasizing that I've got these leading lines taking me into this area. So it does come to me kind of intuitively, but when I stop and I look at the computer, I can really kind of enhance whatever that element is that's in there. Same thing, you know, if you have four bottles in a picture, you really need five or three, you know. So I will stop and say, got to reshoot that because I like this, but I need to have the odd in there. And it's really much better not to have your object as your front and center. You want it to be a little off to the side. It's just visually more interesting. So even if it's just a little bit off to the side. So those are areas that I'll help students with as well when they're trying to decide. I've had students send reference photos in the beginning and we'll sit there and talk about which one's stronger and why it's stronger and what they could tweak to make it stronger. Thinking about all of this is that we all just want to jump into the painting when we first Mm -hmm. start out. How does that hold us back long term? Well, I would say if you want to jump into the painting, then start with something as like one object. So you can get it quickly drawn and do the one object. Like I said, if your composition is not there, you can spin your wheels and immediately get to painting and then you're frustrated because why isn't it working and I can't understand because that initial time wasn't spent in the beginning. So it's that frustrating part, you know, that you have to go through that process. But if you are just wanting to practice, to practice painting, start simple and do simple compositions, simple subjects so that you can get there quicker. And I think a lot of times people want to start painting small first because they're scared to get big. But it's a lot easier to paint big, especially when you're getting into like nitty gritty details and glass and still life. It's a lot easier big than small. So I would say start a little larger. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but you're going to have better results. 
if you start a little bit larger and then work down to the small pieces. In fact, I didn't paint small until I started doing some six by six paintings for uh, like Randy Higby does the six by six squared show in California. And that was probably one of the first times I started painting small pieces, but I had already painted a lot of those paintings very large. My brain already knew the steps, not that it was an exact copy, but you know, if you've painted a jar, you've painted a light bulb, you've painted whatever you've painted. If you've done it many times bigger, it's easier to translate down to smaller. But that is a mistake I see people like, I don't want to, I'm scared to paint big. I don't want to paint big, but you end up with better results. We're a transition to light. How can someone create a strong sense of light in their work? What's important to think about when it comes to light? I love very dramatic light. So you're going to hear a pretty one-sided answer from me. (laughs) I'm always about drama. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm wanting a strong, strong light. I want it kind of coming from one side or look very dramatic shadows. I like the drama. Now, (laughs) I do appreciate some people I know paint um, like more on a rainy day, that soft light. I do appreciate that too, but I'm pretty drawn to the pretty dramatic lighting. So I think lighting is also an area you can't skimp on. Whatever you're painting, even if you're doing figurative work, it needs good lighting. I can't get much better than the sun. (laughs) So that's what I use. For lighting, what needs to be accurate and what, where can you play when it comes to having a strong sense of light in a painting? I think the more dramatic, the better you can play by darkening values. So I think if it's too bright, we can, you can only saturate and darken. So I would rather have a strong light that I can then pull my colors back with saturating and adding contrast to. So I always am looking for that strong light. For me, if it's an overcast day, it's not even worth time shooting it because I'm not going to get the effects that I want. That's why I have to jump on a nice sunny day. And sometimes there's like a hazy light outside and that frustrates me too because I don't even realize it till I get inside and I look at the, and I'm like, oh, this is not, you know, it's kind of filtered almost looking. So it's better when it's just very intense for me and then I can play around with saturation and value and contrast. But it sounds like you're saying you really need it to be in the photo. Like you're not going to make up this stuff as you Mm -hmm. go along. No, and I have a friend who's really good at that. But I think it's how my brain works. That is not an area I want to play around with. Because I feel like if I screw it up, it's going to really be screwed up. And if I'm going to spend a month to a month and a half on a painting... I want it right. And I don't want that to be an area that I have to make up. One of my friends, she, she'll say, oh, I want to paint this. And she'll take a picture, like terrible light in a store window. And I'm like, what is going to come of that? And she always does it. She always does it. <laughs> and I'm like, that is your superpower because <laughs> I have to like get that out and light it correctly. <laughs> you know? so. I don't know how she does it. But, you know, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. And that is just an area that I don't play around with too much. I wish I could be a little more spontaneous and be able to change that and add things into an element and then get the lighting right. But I don't know. That may not be my thing. (laughs) Do you ever feel yourself saying, oh, 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 this photo is good enough. I can just move on. Or are you pretty comfortable with knowing like, nope, not ready to move on? Nope, I'm 100% gonna like a dog with a bone. I'm not gonna stop until I, <laughs> until I get what I want. And 
I have gone back and painted photographs that weren't my favorite, but they worked well in a series. So that's why I say it's important to hold on to some of those photos because you never know when you might go back and you're looking for a different thing that you weren't initially. Maybe I want that fuzzy background. Initially, I didn't want a fuzzy background. And now I'm like, wait a minute, if I crop this and do this and add a little value, this one works pretty neat with the fuzzy background. So I'm a hoarder with my pictures because I'm like, no, I can't get rid of it because what if I need? What if I need that one later? (laughs) And I have gone back years later and done a different one. Or let's say it's a really small work. I might be able to get away with a photograph that wasn't the star of that photo session. But it works well in a series and it works well as a small piece. What does a focal point need to have? And what do you use to direct the viewer's eye to the focal point? Sometimes I've directed people with a line going through the painting. So the focal point might be a series of lids on jars going out of the painting. You do kind of want to think about how can I bounce the eye back in to the painting. So even if I'm going and bouncing you from the bottom left to the top right and back, how am I doing that? And maybe that's where I'm playing around with color. Like maybe if I add turquoise highlight over here, turquoise in the middle, turquoise at the end, I can kind of ping, 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 you know, your eye kind of ping, ping, ping through and back. That is how you can play around and be very uh, spontaneous with your color and make sure you're bouncing people back into the image. You don't want to send people out of your painting. You don't want to have them look gone and then out the painting and they're done. So you want something interesting enough that's going to pull them back in to the painting. So that is again in your composition stage where you can decide what works the best as my focal point. And I don't want it in the center of my painting. I want it a little off. Why do you think people are scared of drawing? It's so important, and yet it can be hard to convince someone, if they don't naturally kind of love drawing, that drawing is important. Well, it's not always fun. A lot of times drawing is not the part I look forward to in this process. Now, I do speed up sometimes. You know, I may transfer from somewhere just to speed up, but I have spent the time in the trenches. So I can tell you if a perspective line is off. And there's a lot of times I'm sitting there fixing things, you know, because photos distort. And so you may have to go back in, especially if you're doing a lot of text in a painting. I did a vending machine where it had all these cans. So all the lettering were all over the place. So I had to spend a lot of time adjusting and moving things down. So even if I were to transfer, let's say, some of the big pieces, just so I know, I spend a lot of time ending up, let's say, the ball jar logo on a jar. It's got to look right, right? Because everybody knows that. If you're doing a Coke bottle, everyone knows that. So it can't be wrong. So you have to make sure that that looks correct. I think that's where having technical skills come in so well because I know my perspective really well and I can tell you exactly when something's a little bit off and I can fix it. So do yourself a favor and take a technical drawing class. Architectural drawing was probably the best thing in drafting. Not fun. Not fun. (laughs) But I learned a ton and I use it every single day. And even my graphic design time, we, I had a German teacher that took us back. He'd use no digital and we had to go back and use a ruling pen and we had to get the absolute perfect line with ink and a ruling pen. And if you don't know what a ruling pen is, it's almost like a pair of tweezers that hold ink in the middle and you can adjust the thickness or thinness. We had an entire semester of just doing lines with a ruling pen. We had to do different design pieces where we had all different shapes, but you had perfect, you know, perfect, perfect. So 
do I use that now? Yes, I do. I use a ruling pen for masking. I use a ruling pen for lettering. I use a ruling pen in my work. So sometimes those painful, painful things end up being the thing that you use all the time. When I was going through school, when I was in third grade, fractions were my nemesis. I hated fractions. (laughs) And of course, now I grasp fractions, but I end up working. Let's fast forward to my 20s, I end up working in a frame shop with my mom and you use fractions every <laughs> So now I know a fraction and I know the exact decimal of each, fra- you know? <laughs> so, so all those things that you think you'll never use, sometimes you do. And, and drawing is one of those, you just got to do it. And I learned more from my technical drawing classes than I would say my studio drawing classes because studio drawing classes, they're more about the feeling and they're more, you know, I learned from that too because we were partnered with a partner in my studio classes and we had to draw that person every single day for the entire semester. So by the end of it, you got their personality. You pretty much had them down on the paper. So I can't say I didn't learn from that as well, but I guess it depends on what you're learning in studio classes. And if you're going to a class that's like a community college drawing class, is it doing enough for you? Are you learning enough of the technical drawings? I'm kind of thinking continuing education. If you're going back now and trying to take a drawing class, make sure it's something that is fundamentally going to make you stronger and not just go play and nobody's doing any instruction. Yeah, because it sounds like drawing has a couple purposes. It has the, you just have to get the reference onto the paper. Mm -hmm. But then there's also, you have to physically have an intuition about what is happening on the paper. And you learn that through drawing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. Right. So all these architects that become artists later, I mean, how many hours do they spend drafting? Let's think about it. So I want to go out and be an urban sketcher and do the work that looks just like my architect friends, you know, that spent thousands of hours. How many hours did they spend doing architectural drawings? So, of course, they can go out and loosely because they were eating, drinking and sleeping that for years. So you have to think about what people's journeys were when you start to get frustrated that it's not happening for you fast enough. So, I mean, they put blood, sweat, and tears. Well, most people that make it look easy have put blood, sweat, and tears into it. What role can artist friends play? How important is it to find friends when you're learning to paint? It's been the most important thing that has happened to me, I think, as an artist. And it all came from Artists Helping Artists, that podcast. Leslie suggested everyone have a mentoring group that keeps you accountable. And I I may have even been co-hosting that one. I can't remember. But a friend of mine heard the same program. And at the time, we weren't friends. She just wrote to me and said, hey, why don't we be in a mentoring group together? And we developed a mentoring group. And it kind of like sifted out to the people where we are now. We have five of us that are in this group. And we travel together. We do museum shows together. The first time we all met in person Some of us had met individually, but the first time all of us were together, we were in Italy. We went to Venice, Italy together. And these ladies, we meet once a month on video chat, and we call ourselves Women Artist Mentors, WAM for short. And we meet once a month, and we just keep each other accountable. And I'm going to tell you, during this five years in Japan, that is probably the only reason I didn't pack up my paints sometimes, (laughs) because I knew I was going to have to talk to them and tell them, what I was up to. And I didn't want to say nothing. (laughs) 
one of the ladies, Deborah, she's kind of like the the driver of the bus, and she's always, you know, do you want to do this show? How about we do this show? And she pushes and enter, you know, how about this? And he's always getting us into things that then you're like, what have I gotten myself into? Now I've got to paint 30 paintings by <laughs> this date. But it's great because it's kept me active and going. So I think even if you're not geographically together, find a group, find your people that can help you stay accountable and you can do shows together and you can get excited about things together. And we have five of us and we all have different life experiences and we've all done different things. And when one of us hits a wall, the other one can say, oh, I had that similar thing happen. And this is how, you know, I remedied it. Even the way I met one of them is I got a painting rejected from a show for copyright issues and it was because I painted a ball jar and they rejected it from the show saying that I, it was a copyright issue and I couldn't and that so I got really upset this was early on in my painting and I thought what can I paint I feel like every jar and bottle and what about like is the White House you know if you're going to paint a building is that you know what can I paint and so she Kim Minichello actually had all this she had owned a little clothing company and a fabric line and she had all this copyright information so when I blogged about it she wrote to me and she's like let me tell you the straight of the this and so she's like no you're fine you know you can and so she told me that and so that's even how I met Kim so having that person come and say, no, you're good, they're wrong, means the world to you. And, you know, the more I think when you're isolated, you feel like you're the only one going through it and the only person that's ever had this problem. And so to have someone say, nope, been there, done that, you're wrong or you're right, it's great to have that sounding board. And we're all different ages, all different geographic areas, different mediums even, oil, acrylic, watercolor, so... It's pretty interesting. And it's interesting because as a watercolor artist, I've learned some things about oil painting and I'm like, mm, maybe, you know, and I found out I kind of do some things that oil painters do that I didn't even realize. And so it's really interesting to have that sounding board. And I can't recommend enough that you try to find your people that you can have that with. So if someone came to you and said, I want to be really good at painting, what advice would you give someone who wants to get really good you have to spend the time. I mean, there's no way around it. It's your own personal drive and what is important to you. So if people can start out like I did, where you just go and find reference books. I mean, I didn't have anyone holding my hand or telling me, this is how you do it. This is not how you do it. I just played and played and played until I started to get things that I liked or the way it looked. So if you really want to get good, you will have the drive to spend the time and invest your time into doing it. And talking to artists and asking them how they've done it is great too. When I first started my journey, I blogged a lot and I would interview an artist every week. I learned so much because like I said, you think it looks easy for them and then you realize, no, this person had a, a graphic design company that they owned on their own. Their husband passed away. They had four kids they were raising. But they promised that they would paint two hours every day. Life gets in the way a lot of times. But if you are saying, this means so much to me that I will spend two hours every day, that's a pretty big commitment. When you probably have zero hours, you know, you're already filling 36 in that day. 
So you start to see like what they put into it to get to where they are. And I'm guilty. Do I paint two hours every day? No, I don't because there's a lot of days that doesn't happen. But do I get frustrated sometimes as well? Yes, of course I do. So we're human. You have to realize and give yourself some grace that you're on your own journey. But you also have to know when you've got to kick yourself in your pants, you know, and say, ah, get back to work. So I've been in Japan now for five years and I've lost, you know, a little of the momentum that I was growing but it's things have happened I've got kids in school and I'm at that season and it was nice to have an art friend tell me it's okay Carrie give yourself a couple years because your kids are not going to be that age their whole lives and you know right now it's important that you're devoting the time for them and you don't have as much time so there's seasons in life with everything and there are going to be some times when you're really driven and other times when life is just getting in the way so You've got to have the drive, but you also have to know when to give yourself a little slack and say, okay, I will pursue this. I'm not giving up. I just, at this moment in time, have to take a breather and go to the field trip and make the cupcakes <laughs> and do the Boy Scout merit badge, you know, <laughs> and all those things that happen. You know, my husband is uh, in the military and we have a lot of engagements and things that I have to do on his side. So there are just times when you have to give yourself a little slack. But does that mean that I am not going to get back into it? No. You can find more out about Carrie Waller at her website, carriewallerfineart.com, and on Facebook and Instagram. Find links to all of it in the program notes. Carrie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I've had a great time. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode eight to get show notes. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter. You'll get each new episode sent straight to your inbox. Happy painting.